the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Welcome to The Antithesis. My name is Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Just about a week ago, it is now December 2021, there was a school shooting in Oxford, Michigan, at Oxford High School. Four students died in the shooting, which was carried out by a student at the school. And in the course of reporting on this terrible event, a story emerged. There was an athlete named Tate Meir, a student at Oxford High, who apparently, according to reports from students themselves, witnesses, had not fled from the gunman, but had rushed toward him. Details are still emerging at the time of my recording of this podcast. We are waiting to hear more about this story, and yet the Detroit Free Press and other news outlets have confirmed at least have reported that this is the case. This is what Mir did. He ran toward the gunman. Jeff Seidel and Mick McCabe wrote an article entitled Oxford High School Shooting. Star athlete Tate Mir was willing to sacrifice for others. Here's how this article in in the Detroit Free Press begins. After the shooting at Oxford High School on Monday, Buck Mir, Tate's father, was searching for his son Tate at the Meyer a staging area for survivors. I was walking with Buck and we couldn't find Tate, said J.R. Lefner, the public address announcer at Oxford football games and a Mir family friend. Then Buck Mir came to a realization. Buck looked right at me, Lefner said, and he said, you know who would go take that guy out, right? I know, Lefner said. Ross Winger, this is according to Seidel and Mick McCabe in the Detroit Free Press, who coached Tate in football and wrestling, was one of the first to reach the mire. In the middle of a chaotic scene, Wingert was told by multiple students that when the gunfire started, Tate ran toward the gunman. I was told that everybody in that school was running one way, and Tate was running the other way, Wingert said, toward the shooting. This is according to the reporting, as I say, of Jeff Seidel and Mick McCabe in the Detroit Free Press. Numerous other outlets picked up this story and ran it in different forms. We continually seem to have rounds of public shootings. Now in our news cycles, this has been the case now for roughly 20 years or so in America. And it is obviously the case that These school shootings are horrific, more broadly public shootings, whether it's a school or not, are terrible. And a sure sign of something going terribly wrong 
in American public life, American society, especially at the rate that they have been occurring. It is the case for many of us that we wish that there was more protection of students and all folks who are on school campuses in public. We recognize that for an area, for example, to be a gun-free zone, so-called, often means that it is going to be a gun-targeted zone, not infrequently. That seems to happen. It is those very zones, in other words, that seem to feature these kinds of tragedies. We want those on site who are equipped and ready uh, to be able to respond to a shooter to do so. According to different reports I've heard, if there is somebody who fires back at a public shooter or a school shooter, that very often will derail them and stop them in their tracks. We recognize in America that uh, we have the right uh, to be armed, that that is not something that is outside the bounds of public life, but is a very basic part of American public life. Look, there's a broader conversation to have about all of that, the right of self-defense and other matters, which I fully believe in and substantiate from scripture. There's a famous passage in Luke's gospel, for example, where the disciples have two swords and they go to Christ uh, as they're uh, launching out on their ministry in a new direction. And Christ says that is enough that they have two. So we have grounds in different texts, I believe, for talking about self-defense and grounding that ability in the scripture. That's not the purpose of this podcast, though. The purpose of this podcast is to recognize that in the midst of this terrible event, an event that all sides can recognize as tragic, uh, there, there is heroism here. And so I want us to see four realities here on today's episode. First, Tate Muir, in common grace terms, is a hero. As a young man who, according to reports of witnesses, ran toward the shooter and lost his life in the process. He died. He's one of four students who died in the shooting in Michigan. Mir is a hero. We don't often use that language today, or if we do, we use it only when we talk about a superhero movie we recently saw. It's as if fantasy characters are the only ones allowed to qualify for heroism today. The world has gone gray. The world has gone gray in terms of morality. Heroes are actually anti-heroes, according to many shows and movies, presentations. You can't really trust any hero. Instead, all you can really do is find the worst bad person there is out there. We're not framing Mir in terms of spirituality here. Frankly, I I don't know uh, much at all about him. I've read numerous stories about him. And he seems like a commendable young man in many common grace respects. I I don't know his spiritual state. I don't know about his family's church commitment or things like this. His funeral is being held at a church uh, this very day that I'm recording this podcast. I I don't know a lot about the church. So I'm not making a a statement here about uh, Mir's commitment in a religious or spiritual sense. I'm talking in common grace terms. And I'm saying societally that this young man, in running toward a school shooter in order to try to save lives, definitely is a hero. And this leads me to a second realization that, again, in common grace terms, we're reminded 
in tragedies like these in which a hero nonetheless emerges, that there is goodness in this world. There are those who will sacrifice themselves for others, as it surely appears that Mir did. We know from that verse from John's gospel that I read a few minutes ago, John 15, 13, that there is truly no greater love that exists than to lay your life down for others. Tate Mir did not do so as a substitutionary sacrifice. He could not atone for anyone's sin, including his own, in doing so. But in these kind of examples, in this young man's heroic death, we get a little taste, just a small picture of the greater sacrifice that was necessary for us and for our salvation. And we are reminded in those moments that there is common grace in this world. We are reminded in these instances that there are those who act virtuously in our world. This is not because we are saved in our natural state. It's not because we are all naturally children of God. It is because God is a God who shows grace to all in some form. It is because he sends rain on the just and the unjust. It is because he has created every human being, made us in his image, and allowed us, even outside of salvation, uh, to, to enjoy so much about life in this world. There is goodness in this world. There are those who will sacrifice themselves for others. There are young men who will step up when a gunman comes to school and who will not run away from that evil gunman, but who will run toward them. Thirdly, this is the kind of manhood that we seek to cultivate, at least a form of it. Men for others. In this example, Mir's life, we are reminded of what we are trying to train our sons to be in the church of Jesus Christ. We are trying to train them to be men for others. We are seeking to raise our boys, in other words, to be those who sacrifice their own comfort, their own desires, their own safety, even their own life itself, on behalf of women and children. This kind of manhood is often called today toxic masculinity. It is often said that strong manhood of the kind that I am describing here and that the scripture lines out in both the Old and the New Testament is problematic manhood. The basic assumption today is that if you call men to be strong, they will automatically and relentlessly, perennially, misuse their strength. What you need to do, it's not usually stated this clearly and explicitly, but this is very evidently the working assumption in a society like ours, a feminist society like ours. What you need to do is train young men to be soft and to be passive and not to be strong, not to be aggressive. Because if you train them to be those things, you will end up with evil unleashed in the world. Evil is correlated with strong manhood. 
In reality, the opposite is the case. Our culture is going the dead level opposite direction of the way it should go. You don't want to train your boys to be weak. You want to train your boys to be strong. But you need to train them to be strong in a framework of Christian character, all of it powered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you're training your boys to be strong. You're training them, God willing, to be men for others. But you're not only training them to be strong. You're training them to be strong alongside all the fruits of the Spirit in a text like Galatians 5, 22 to 23. You're training them as best you can, by the grace of God, to, to try to develop the character of the elder in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, or Titus 1, 5 to 9. The character of the elder, alongside the fruits of the Spirit more generally, that is true of all Christians, is a multidimensional character. The elder, as the leader in the church of God on this earth, is called to be a man who is open to reason, who is gentle, who is self-controlled. The virtues accumulate and pile up if you read those different passages, but you see that strong biblical manhood doesn't have only one dimension in it. It is not only uh, smash somebody who comes into your path who you see as a threat. It, it is, it is multi-orbed, multi-dimensional. It is beautiful manhood in truth. It's just like biblical womanhood. There's not one thing alone to say about it. There are numerous elements that accrue in it. The kind of manhood that we seek to cultivate then is definitely strong biblical manhood. But the kind of man that we are seeking to turn out is not a man who is always operating in sixth gear. He is a man who is, who is able to fit into different situations. He's a man who is able to, with his strong arms that he tries to train to be strong, pick up uh, a tiny uh, infant girl and calm her when she is stressed, when she is crying and is inconsolable. A strong biblical man can, can pick up a, a tiny six-pound girl and soothe her and be strong for her and be kind to her and be gentle to her. A strong biblical man is one who can enter into a conflict, a needless conflict, let's say, and can, can help those, uh, those who are facing off in the conflict come to a peaceful resolution. That's strong biblical manhood as well, according to the character of the elder, according to the fruits of the spirit, according, ultimately, I'll talk more about this in a minute, to the example of the true man, Jesus Christ. The strong man is not a guy who pours gasoline on every fire. The strong biblical man is one who can recognize that there is a needless fight playing out and can help those who are engaging in it or about to engage in it find peace, calm down, not blow one another up. The strong biblical man, yes, is absolutely one who when there is a threat on the scene, when there is a bump in the kitchen at night, when there is a report that a gunman has entered the campus, that young man, or whatever age he may be, 
is one who goes toward danger, not away from it. This is not an optional element in strong biblical manhood. Courage is not the 17th least important thing you can say about a man. In fact, if you are developing, as God allows and blesses, courage in a young man, in general terms, you can know that virtue is definitely developing in him. If there is courage in him, by God's grace, then there will very likely be the development of other virtues as well, other fruits of the Spirit as well, other elements of the elder's character as well. I believe it was Churchill who said, excuse me, that courage is the virtue that guarantees all the others. So this is the kind of manhood that we are trying to develop in our sons in the church of Jesus Christ. We're trying to make them strong, and we're trying to help them understand that their strength is not ultimately for themselves. It is for others. And in particular, it is for women, and it is for children. Their strength is not to be used against women and against children. Their strength is to be used to protect them, to strengthen them, to bless them, to provide for them. And this leads us to our fourth and final reality. This selfless example in the case of Tate Mir points us to a much, much greater man, the true man, Jesus Christ. When you hear reports about a hero along the lines of what we have uh, studied and seen in this example of this young man from Michigan, it ultimately takes your mind and should take your mind to a much greater man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, truly God and truly man. Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfills John 15, 13. Jesus is the one who shows the greater love that exists in the world. The greater love, the greatest love is this, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for sinners like us. That Jesus Christ came to earth in his incarnation, not to spread mere feelings of goodwill and vague hope, but came to face down the enemy who hates us, the anti-God, the devil, Satan. Jesus came to earth uh, not with sprinkle dust on his mind, as if he would walk around and wave his hands, and everybody would feel a little bit better about themselves for roughly an hour's time until the sprinkle dust faded. Jesus came with an enemy in his sights, and that enemy is Satan. Satan is the one who torments us. Satan is the one who hates every human being, every image bearer. Satan is the one who despises the church and wants every Christian to make shipwreck of their profession of faith. Satan is the one who wants to blow up every Christian marriage. Satan is the one who wants every young man or young woman to walk away from the church that is faithfully proclaiming the gospel to them. Satan wants you, when you are in college or university, to make hash of the Christian commitment that you perhaps said you made in years past. 
Satan wants to destroy everyone and everything. That is what Satan is. He is a destroyer. He is not a creator like God is. Satan is a destroyer. That is all that Satan can do. He does not create something by himself. What Satan does, as we see in Genesis 3, is he comes to that which God has created and made very good, and he tries to make it very bad. And that is what he tries to do with us. We are all born with a sin nature. Every one of us is lost in our sin from birth. And yet Satan seeks to hasten us toward that end. Satan wants to speed us toward our destruction. When we are saved, when we are born again, Satan works double shifts to try to get us to compromise the testimony we give to the world as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, as we celebrate in this glorious Christmas season, are you not feeling the wonder and joy and happiness of the Christmas season? I pray you are. In these strange and evil days in late 2021, my quick encouragement to you would be to enjoy Christmas. Enjoy it as much as you can. Savor the time with loved ones, with your family, with your church. Enjoy it. Do the traditions. Uh, Take the time. Go to the special Christmas services. Light the candles. Drink the hot chocolate. On and on we go. Enjoy Christmas. This is what the incarnation represents. It represents the coming of hope to our world, not vague, generic, secular humanist hope, but definite hope. The hope of Jesus, the warrior savior, coming to destroy the power of the devil. The one who has come to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. See also Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. Because the true man, the warrior king, Jesus Christ, comes to earth, we are no longer held in bondage to our sin. We no longer are enslaved to the fear of death. We are liberated from captivity to hell. You could not get a better hero than Jesus Christ in some form. Every imperfect earthly hero is a tiny, momentary, fleeting glimpse of the much greater hero that is Jesus, the Christ. When you read a story about a young, gifted football player who seems by all accounts to have loved his family and worked hard at school and done well in sports, the kind of young man that you would pass, it seems, on the street and give a head nod to, the kind of young man you would watch play underneath Friday Friday night lights and think to yourself, that's a hardworking boy. His parents must be proud of him. We're not making comment about the spiritual state of, of this young man or anyone who died in the school shooting. I'm not privy to those details. But I know that when I see A story, a true story, of a young man who does not run away from danger, but runs toward it, who literally puts himself in the line of fire, according to witnesses. I am getting a glimpse of a much, much greater hero, Jesus Christ. 
friends, you cannot turn out young men like this by accident. It takes training. It takes hard work. We, of course, as believers are not trying to turn out those who would generically step into the fray. We are Christians. We are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are praying to God day by day, those of us who have sons, who have young men to raise, that God would get a hold of their heart and would turn it like channels of water in his hand toward his kingdom. We can't ultimately save our sons. We can't ultimately save our daughters. We can't ultimately make our children virtuous. We can't make them strong in biblical terms. Our sons need the grace of God if they are to be the kind of men they are called to be in Scripture. So with all of us, so with every man, so with me, so with you as a man. But even as we rely on the grace of God, this is the kind of character we encourage and seek to cultivate. Selflessness self-sacrifice, courage, fearlessness. Has anything more stood out than that in these compromised days when we are as societies and as churches and as individuals tragically gripped by fear? When you get a report of a young man who is fearless, like Tate Muir evidently was. It takes your breath away. It reminds you of God's common grace. It summons you as a man to want to go and do likewise. And it ultimately, as I have said, points you to a greater man, to the king, to the warrior savior, to Jesus Christ, who did not hang back, who did not stay a hundred thousand miles away, but who came to earth in the incarnation and who came to earth with salvation, deliverance, and destruction of the devil's own works on his mind. This is a season of celebration, celebration that the warrior king, the greater David, as great as David was, has come and has saved us. And now this warrior king in his strong arms, by his sacrificial death, by, in his strength, ironically becoming weak, weak to the point of dying, offers all of us, he offers all, by extension, who are listening to this humble little podcast, he offers the gift of everlasting life. He offers eternal hope. He offers fresh, clean blood by which your sins, which are now scarlet, will become white, white as snow. And for those who are Christians, for those who have long trusted in the name of Jesus Christ, he offers fresh power and fresh grace and fresh hope for you today. You feel like the world is hopelessly uh, bound in sin. You feel like society is going down the drain at rapid fire speed. 
You feel like your own life is challenged at every point and it's gotten harder to do the big things in your existence all the way down to the smallest things in your existence. It's gotten challenging just to go to Target and and buy tube socks. You feel it. You feel it keenly. The world just feels harder and tougher and, and in some sense darker. Well, here is the wellspring of your hope as a believer. It is not yourself. It is not your feelings. And it is not even your circumstances and a change in them. Your hope is iron. It is formed of steel. And it has a name. The God-man, Jesus Christ. The greatest hero that ever was and ever will be. When we hear reports of a young man dying virtuously, we are pointed like an arrow to heaven, to the greater one who laid his life down for us, Jesus Christ. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So Christ has, and so we shall celebrate in all eternity to come, world without end, our tongues never ceasing to praise him. Greater love has no man than this. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.